Welcome back to the Strong Australian Podcast. You are here with your hosts, Sophie Lane and Lydia Mackay. Sophie Lane, who is an exercise physiologist, strength and conditioning coach, and running coach. Wow. And she is a wealth of knowledge. Welcome to the podcast, Sophie Lane. Goodness me, what can't she do? What Thank can't she do? We are also here with Lydia Mackay, physiotherapist extraordinaire, group training specialist, and all round ocean slash land lover. Did you say that I'm a physio in there as well? I said physiotherapist extraordinaire. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who that, my brain was gone. I just heard extraordinaire and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, of course. Classic. <laughs> what else would I be? Um, yeah. Thank you for the intro. Gosh, wonderful. Um, now tell me, in fact, actually we should say welcome to the podcast for anyone who is new. Thank mm-hmm. you for joining us. I actually just went through on our Spotify the other day to like see what countries we were in. And oh, yeah. oh my goodness, guys, there are listeners all over the globe, like countries that I didn't even know existed. I'm not <laughs> kidding. I was scrolling through all these countries. Now, I haven't done much travel, so <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe I just haven't seen the world. But honestly, there was there was lots of countries, yeah. more than I can remember. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking now. There is so many. Mm. Um, Puerto Rico. Wow. We're global. Now, my question to you is... If you are listening from somewhere that isn't Australia or the UK or America, I feel like we've got those covered. How did you find us? And like, are you really listening or did you just happen to scroll past this? Because like, I just, I'm questioning. I mean, Kenya, there's a few runners in Kenya. So that makes sense. Egypt, British Virgin Islands. Not sure where they are. Anyway, there's lots and that's really cool. But I'm doubtful that they are like, it's actually real. But also... Our stats on Australia, while we're talking stats, 67% in New South Wales, which is so much lower than I would thought. Oh, than I would yeah. Thought, than I would think. They were quite um, spread across. Fuzzy and ACT are lacking, but everywhere else oh. thriving. Okay. Yeah. So we've got to really to... branch out down to the south down and to the Taz. west. West. <laughs> Why did I get confused? It's obviously west. west Australia. <laughs> um, anyway, let's tell me about your running and your hamstring updates, please. Yes. Um, Well, for those of you who haven't been listening recently or who are new to the podcast, I had a proximal hamstring tear eight weeks ago as of yesterday, and I'm on the mend. I'm feeling okay. I feel like it's, as I always say to my patients and to myself, progress is never linear, so patience is key. And I think I'm having to really remind myself of that, in particular yesterday. So if you said to me, well, progress isn't linear. Um, but it is tricky because I think when you are your own physio and you're managing injury, it's challenging because you're always like checking in with yourself being like, okay, how does it feel when I do this? Is that okay? Is that not okay? Can I progress to the next thing? Um, and obviously things like fluctuate a little bit here and there. So I try and leave a little bit of wiggle room and just like take a few extra days than I think is necessary or extra weeks or whatever before I move on. Um, but obviously there's opportunity to check in with myself every single day and sort of be like, oh, I can do this now. I'll try this. So some of that is like a little bit tiring. And then there's also just like the frustration of like not being able to just go and do anything. Um, and then there's that fear of like, oh, am I like overthinking this? But then also I'm like, well, I don't think so because I still am that person who just like forget about like, I've, I've definitely just like randomly forgotten about things and just been like, oh, like, for instance, I've planned multiple trail runs and then got into the day before and been like, oh, I'm sorry, 
I forgot I can't run on heels at the moment and like <laughs> literally just like completely forget so I don't know it's like this weird balance of like not caring about it but caring about it and being patient and like being my own physio and just like managing all those things and I think overall it's pretty much where I'd expect it to be and it's progressing well in saying that the last few days have been a little bit more challenging because I've pushed it a little bit harder and naturally it's like gotten a little bit tighter and like a little bit sore and I'm having those doubts of like oh did I push it a bit too much or is this like a nice appropriate amount of soreness do you know what I'm saying yeah I know what you're saying sounds like a lot of thoughts and it sounds all a little bit hard to know exactly what is the right thing to do but sounds like you're doing really well at listening to your body and just feeling things and testing the limits a little bit, but not pushing it too far. Um, but I think it's tricky because often, like you said last week, um, when we were running yesterday, that you did a few new things or a few, you know, did, did a few extra gym classes and some speed work and things that um, a couple of new things were introduced to the program or the schedule. Mm. And you felt really good at the time. And then maybe a few days later, you started to notice some increase in symptoms. So I think it's really hard if you're not feeling it in the moment, like, oh, okay, this feels good now. But then whether it, um, affects you later on during the week is a bit tricky. So I think you're doing a good job at managing that. And I'm glad that it is progressing, maybe not linearly, but it is on the up. So that's really exciting. And I look forward to doing some hill sprints with you in the not too oh, near future. I'm so excited. I can't wait to just like feel fit on hills. Cause mm. this is the other thing now that I don't run on hills, like <laughs> hills are hard, like even walking up hills and like <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard when I run on hills again. Um, But anyway, I think, you know what I think I'm due for? Actually Mm. getting um, a physio, another physio, one of my colleagues assess my hamstring. Um, I should say I've definitely been asking my colleagues for advice along the way because I would say to anyone, always have someone else manage your injuries. I know I've made that mistake in the past, just not asking for help and not asking for advice. Um, And it's just like, caused more issues and also just more stress. Um, And it's not even like a case of, are you not capable to manage your own things? But I think anything in life, people should ask for help more because there are experts in in certain fields and the experts for a reason. And even if you're within that field and have a lot of knowledge, I just think always asking people's opinions and advice is just so important because firstly, it's a learning opportunity. Um, And then secondly, it's just like, Someone else is managing your thing. So you can still focus on being your person, managing other people in whatever your role is, but you've got someone like looking over your shoulder because you're always going to be biased when you're managing yourself and you can't separate emotion and you can't be completely objective at your own management. So I feel like I'm due to get some more advice and I'm excited for that. Yeah, I agree hundred percent. I think it's so easy to be, yeah, just stuck in your biases or just doing the things that you maybe prefer to do, even if you know exactly what you would give to someone else. Maybe you just think you're a little bit different or you know your body better than someone else would. Um, but I think, yeah, always having a second opinion is is very wise. So mm. keen to hear the updates from whoever you get to check that out. Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. In fact, it was like with our strength programs the other day. So mm-hmm. the other day, so now we're going through each other's gym programs and you gave me some upgrades on my core work, which was so exciting because I do not love the pal-off press or like any wood chop variation. I just, <laughs> I never love them and I never, I, just, I don't know. I've just never really got into them, but you were like, Lydia, cut out that stupid Russian twist exercise, do the pal-off press. And I was like, I needed that. Thank you for telling me that. Mm-hmm. 
And I had some stern words with you, Sophie Lane, because as we all know, Sophie Lane has not been doing enough calf raises. <laughs> this has been the longest ongoing saga. <laughs> I reckon my calves are no, they're not actually. I reckon my right calf is pretty strong. Calf. My left is not. But oh my god, we should have a calf raise competition. <gasps> a calf raise off. Would it be oh. max reps or max weight or oh, like full this is exciting. vibes? Oh my gosh, we can make it a whole day we do event. A, well, if we do calves, then we have to do hammies as well. Oh shit. <laughs> my hamstring is going to not be ready for like six months. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, um, we will do that. That sounds yes. good. All right. One more thing. What was your yes. highlight from the last two weeks of running? Tell me. Well, I have three highlights. Oh, nice. Tell me. Yeah, so many. Um, Royal National Park, solo adventure. so good. I got really lucky with the weather. I don't know. It just felt summery and it was blue sky and warm and there was a few hikers out but not too many people that got in the way and I was listening to a nice podcast and just taking my time and enjoying the scenery. Um, So that was really nice. And then King's Cross Track Club last Thursday night with you and King's Cross and Turbo crew. Uh, that was good. It was nice to do a track session. It was nice to run with you because we I feel like the times that we run together are just like long social chatty trail runs, but we don't often like push ourselves. So it was nice to like you'd go past. I'm like, come on, Lids, and then you'd cheer for me. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah. Um, so that was really good. And I felt really strong that session. Um, yeah, it just felt good. Had a little hammy feeling awareness <laughs> at that time. But well, I love well. how we've progressed to this point of like any like injury or niggle is like. <laughs> Just a little feeling, slight <laughs> situation. Sensation. <laughs> yeah, but it's okay now, so it's fine. Um, and then the third one was yesterday's perimeter trail run with you and Zach. We did about oh. 20Ks. It was actually his first half marathon. I was going to shout him out, but he doesn't even listen anymore. You know, he hasn't listened for so long. So oh. fake fan. Yeah. That's I know. terrible. He's, he's off. Yeah, He's we off. Can't, we're cancelling Zach. Cancel Zach. <laughs> but we had such a nice run. It was beautiful. And, um, yeah, it was nice for you to come up north and check out, I was going to say my local trails, but I don't think half an hour drive is local. But really nice. And we had a little dip and brekkie and it was great. Wonderful. Gosh. Um, well, I, I'm inspired by your three top runs. I've got four. I'm sorry. Oh, I'll be quick. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. My first one was Brooks did an event last Thursday with Running Heroes and I got to try out the Brooks Catamount 2s, which is a new pair of trail shoes. And you know me, I love a new pair of trail shoes. So um, I went with Jackie Bell and the Brooks crew and we did a run around Manly Dam, which was so nice. And it was like rainy at the time. So it was really good to like actually be I feel like it's more like a real trail when it's like raining and you're on slippery surfaces and you know navigating the tough terrain so I really enjoyed that and it wasn't too hilly and my hamstring felt great so stoked about that um my next shout out goes to the Rejuve crew so Chris and Treda Treda Trescott um yeah I ran with that crew on the Tuesday morning it was so fun I'd never run with that group before and it was a fight like session. It was like a, a K and a half loop and like maybe like 30-ish percent of it was, I don't know how far. It was like 30%? Three. Think about the numbers. <laughs> like 300. What can't you do? Physiotherapist, mathematician. 
<laughs> there was like a section of the run. I don't know what the distance of the lap was. I don't doesn't know matter. how far, but like really doesn't there matter. was a section which was hard, a section which was easy. Okay. Anyway, really enjoyed that. Um, no hamstring pain, no awareness, nothing. <laughs> and then Thursday night turbo. Oh my God. This was definitely my highlight of the week. This is so fun. Running on the track. Oh my gosh. I just loved it. We did six 1K repeats and I was just so in the zone. I just enjoyed it so much. I chatted on the warm up and before and after, but like on the reps, I was focused. I was controlled. Um, yeah, didn't talk to anyone, even um, like I, yeah, I was focused and I just enjoyed it. Like I negative split it. So, yeah, negative split it. And I wasn't watching my clock. I was going to say positive, but no, negative. But what did you say? Negative what? Split it. Negative split it. Yeah, negative split it. Who says split negative it? split it? Negative split. I did negative split. What's the it at the end? <laughs> negative split. Split it. A <laughs> <laughs> negative split it. Oh, okay, I kind of get it. It makes sense. Anyway, yeah. the whole point it is got quicker I didn't... as the session went yeah. on. <laughs> and I didn't pay attention to my watch. I didn't know mm-hmm. what pace to go, but I just ran to feel and I was trying to maintain slash. I don't know. I wasn't really trying to go faster, but I was trying to maintain. And they all just got a bit faster. So I think like a 20 or no, 16, 17 second difference between the first and the last one. So really stoked. Felt good. Uh, And then my last highlight was the, oh, this run I did around the harbour. It was Mm. so nice. I started at at like Glebe Foreshore and basically ran all the way to Mrs. Macquarie's chair. And <laughs> that is what it's called. Do not laugh. No, I know. I, I know. It. I know. I know what it's called, but I just think, <laughs> I feel like Mrs. Macquarie's chair, like, is it a chair? No, I feel I like, don't why know. does everyone talk about it? We run past it, whatever it is. Yeah, question so to the listeners. What is it? Is, a, is, is it a McCrory? chair? Like, I don't, I don't know. But everyone always says it, so I just go, oh, yeah, yeah, Mrs. Mac's chair. Yeah, just and I'm like, but where is the chair? What is, is the there chair? chair? Who's Miss Mac? Like, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, I ran there, and I know that there's hills around there, and that was when the hamstring started to play up. So aside from that, it was great. Beautiful morning, a bit of rain, a bit of sun, a bit of nice cloudage. Um, cloudage. Yeah, so- <laughs> Yeah, overall, it's such a great week of running and it really only came stuck, unstuck. <laughs> and Mrs. McCrory's chair. Well, I just Googled. Mrs. McCrory's chair is, in fact, a chair. It's carved out of sandstone. So not your traditional chair. So not just like a you know, wooden bench style chair, but a big old rock. Huh. So we'll have to go and sit on Mrs. McCrory's chair and just acknowledge it. It's oh. Been oh, good. Wait, do you say this weekend? No. Oh. It's been there since 1810. Oh, 1810. <laughs> <laughs> They're doing it this weekend. <laughs> They're doing a little updo. <laughs> updo? <laughs> Is it an updo when you have your hair up? I don't know. What's it called? Read, like uh, a refurb. Like a reno? <laughs> yeah. No, a refurb. Revent. Like an updo. <laughs> yeah, updo. I don't think that I want. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. Let's we start. had the owner of Ground Up Physiotherapy, Kevin, on the show today. Now he's a running coach from Belmore, Sydney, and has his own physiotherapy practice. And he is all about empowering individuals through knowledge and equipping with the tools to improve their whole general health so that they can improve their well-being and perform at their best. Yeah, well said. Um, we talked about acute injuries with Kevin today, which was really interesting because we've spent plenty of time talking about overuse, chronic. Boring old injuries, but today we got to 
today? Yes, today. We got to talk to, about more acute things. So what happens when you go for a trail run and roll your ankle? What do you do? What processes are happening within the body? And we broke down a couple of misconceptions about the old rice or ricer principle that used to be the go-to. And we spoke about the peace and love principles. Um, we talked about the role of anti-inflammatories and blood, fro- blood, <laughs> blood flow restriction training. That's a tr- tricky little tongue twister. Um, and then we talked about how best to manage your condition when you're deloading or resting, how to make the most of that uh, recovery period with cross training and other methods, um, some core stability. And yeah, I think they are the main things. Anything else, Lids? No, that's pretty much it. And I think as you said, so it was, it was good to chat about injuries in the more acute setting, which we probably don't talk about very much. And I think it's something that I definitely sort of forget is probably really like a lot of the time people come in um, to the clinic and they'll ask questions that I'm like, gosh, I wouldn't have even thought that you would ask that because I just, I don't even think about things like ice or swelling management. I mean, I do think about that, but there's a lot of stuff that I think it's just so not in my brain to like mention to people. Um, but then often people asking things like, do I need to take anti inflammatories Like, do I need to do this? I think it was really great just to hear Kevin's perspective and thoughts on how he would manage that um, acute stage of any injury, because it is definitely very different. The recommendations that you're going to give in that acute stage compared to the chronic. And I think um, often like runners have these sort of more long-standing injuries, but the reality is we also just humans that can, uh, fall over, roll our ankle, twist our knee, um, get hurt, pain, soccer. We just had some technical difficulties, but as we are all human and we are taking us, everything happens. So it was great to cover these topics with Kevin today and we really appreciate his time and knowledge. And if you'd like to follow him, him at groundup underscore on Instagram or his own account, local and would like to have a consult with Kevin to talk about your running injury. Please reach out to him. And yeah, we'll catch you in the next one. If you need any tailwind for your nutrient hydration adventures, please check out our discount code. It helps us a lot. And also, we've got some shoes on discount as well. Thank you so much. Please like, subscribe, do all the things, and we will speak to you. Welcome back to the Strongest Drive podcast. Today, we are very excited to have Kevin on, who is a running coach, a physiotherapist based in Belmore, Sydney, and the founder of Ground Up Physiotherapy. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been a long time waiting. Yeah, we're so excited to finally make this happen and keen to hear your perspective on a few things around rehab and injuries and um, I guess some some knowledge and experience that you've get, gained from your own practice. Um, before we get into it, do you want to just let the listeners know a little bit about yourself, um, what you're doing at the moment and how you kind of got to where you are? Yeah, so um, like the girl said, my name is Kevin um, and I'm a physiotherapist with a massive interest in sprinting and long distance running as well. Um been working as a physio for about six to seven years um, and only just started to open up my own clinic about a year ago, um, which I'm located inside a gym uh, with more the fact that I believe that with whatever you do, whether you're like you're a young kid to an elderly, um, strength training is quite important to health, uh, but also in the rehab process as well. Yeah. And then in terms of, I guess, ground up project, the name sort of speaks for itself, I think, um, in terms of what I tried to create about three years ago during COVID. Um, sort of utilised my parents' um, migration here from Vietnam to Australia 
where they had to start from nothing to building it, building themselves up from scratch uh, with hard work, dedication, consistency and all that. And, and I guess that's how I sort of want to draw that culture with my clients as well, is that if they want to get better in something that they, they have to start with a strong foundation to be able to achieve what they ultimately want to achieve without dipping down and then giving up and all that. Yeah, that's such a great, um, I guess, philosophy to have around your rehab and just general life as well. I think, um, yeah, you've got to put the work in if you want to get the results. And I think that's a really nice philosophy to hold um, in your clinic. So that's cool. I didn't realize that was a backstory. That's awesome. Thanks, Jerry. And I just wanted something different with the physio name. So yeah, hence ground up physiotherapy. Nice. Love it. Um, Cool. So we're going to talk a little bit about acute injuries and I guess the the current kind of research and management principles around what to do when you get an acute injury or um, I guess, yeah, dispel some myths around um, that sort of area. So if you want to just let us know a little bit about the principles of peace and love, which have been kind of replaced by, uh, or we've previously had RISA, now we've moved on to peace and love. Do you want to tell us what that means, what they stand for? If anyone hasn't heard of that before, what does that mean? Yeah, so I guess peace and love is um, your peace part is like, how you manage injuries when it's quite new. So within like the first couple of days, um, so the P is like you want to protect the injured area, then you want to elevate it, avoid anti-inflammatory tablets. So that's like Voltaren and Nurofen, compress and then educate. So educating your client on how to manage the injury and manage the injury whilst they're able to train as well. So then they get bang for the buck if they were to come back. Um, and then the love you've got, Loading, so that's like optimally loading as required, um, using pain as a bit of guidance um, and then just pushing the boundaries there. That way the muscles can adapt. Um, optimism, uh, which is something interesting that I didn't know that you would put this into it, but it's a big factor. Um, sort of looking forward to and understanding how to manage injuries without looking at all that, oh, it's so painful here, it's so painful there, because we know how much that can affect our pain sensitivity. Vascularization, so trying to get a blood flow within the area, which blood flow helps with the recovery of muscles um, and then exercise. So training in different areas or different ways to keep the body fit and strong. So when your injury per se is a lot better, you don't have to start from zero again or in the negative space. Basically. And yeah, like the love section, that's more so post three days of the injury. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how it's evolved. I think rice has just been the basic and sort of standard principle that seems to be, I mean, it just seems to have been around forever. I feel like when I was a kid, that was just what you'd always do. And I, I do think for the most part, it's still a pretty good way to go. Like, mm. you know, the, the basic things, like it, it sounds quite good. And for the most part, it's going to get people sort of protecting the injured area. And if they have got an acute injury, um, you know, compression, elevation, like that's awesome. Um, but th- it definitely gets confusing as things start to progress beyond a couple of days. And I think something that I see as a physio is, yeah, people often asking and getting confused around like they've got this injury that's been going for ages. Like, oh, should I like put some ice on it now? Or, like, I've been taking anti-inflammatories. Like, is this helping? Or like, I've had two weeks off. I've done absolutely nothing. Like, why am I not better? Um, so I think it is a little bit confusing. Um, would you be able to explain? I guess if we could sort of go back a little bit to the start about yeah. what rice is and like what potential problems you see with rice, and then how that has evolved into the peace and love. Yeah, so I guess rice, it's very passive. You get a lot, you get people just resting most of the time until the injury gets better. And then they just return back to, say, running as if pre-injury. 
Um, and then that's when all the overload issues start to come through. But in terms of the evolution now, it's everything's all about optimally loading um, because say, for example, uh, ankle sprains, nowadays people are encouraged to wait there as much as they can, which will help the tendon, oh, sorry, the ligament uh, recover better and adapt to the stresses. So you can become stronger versus before it was, no, don't do anything, rest it for two weeks and then go back to run. And then they might sprain their ankle again. Mm. And can, I guess, can we explain to the listeners why, why doesn't resting alone just work? Like why, I guess if you don't know a lot about physiology and how the body works, it kind of makes sense, right? Like something hurts, you stop doing that thing. It doesn't hurt anymore. And then obviously there's problems and you go back and you might have re-injury, but why does rest alone not work? And, and what is the, the difference with the loading? How does that actually help the recovery process? Yeah, I guess with resting or with any injury, I don't correct me on the stat, but I think it's like if the limb is double the size of the opposite limb with swelling, you lose at least 20% of the strength. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why we encourage people to move as much as we can to reduce the swelling because the swelling makes the muscle sleep in a sense, which then makes it weaker. Then ultimately, when you do want to come back, you've you've got a difference between left and right. And as we know, when you have a difference between left and right, there's just an increase in load on other joints and other muscles. They have to work harder. And then down the track, you'll probably sustain some other injury uh, to those areas that are working extra hard. Yeah, the whole swelling thing is interesting, isn't it? Because I know I've had this conversation with people so many times about, you know, the debate of ice or no ice. And, you know, people often say, like, you know, the swelling, like, sorry, the ice will help the swelling, helps the pain, and, like, they get that effect that effect from that. And then other people saying, yeah, but, you know, isn't my body doing this normal thing? Like, isn't it meant to swell? Isn't that part of it? Um, shouldn't I just let nature do its thing? Um, would you be able to talk a little bit on that? And, like, what are your thoughts, you know, if you have patients coming in with those sorts of questions? Yeah, like, it's so, it's so debatable, hey. You've got people saying, leave it alone so then your body can do such a natural healing process. Then some say put heat onto it, which recently I've heard more of because they say that's going to help promote the swelling, which then will promote all the healing side of things. Um, and then some will say ice it again to more manage the pain and then reduce the swelling. In my perspective, I'd say I always get people to ice just because of the pain factor. Uh, with all the pain, if you can dial that down for your patients, uh, they'll be able to walk a little bit more. Um, that way you can encourage them to load up that injured side, for example. Yeah, and then in terms of not doing anything, you know, I haven't seen much of a difference between people who have iced it within the first two days of injury versus not icing it within the first few days of injuries. But that's just based on what I've seen over the last seven years of people. So I think it just depends on the client when they walk in. And if pain is the biggest thing, I just say ice it. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we get that muscle inhibition when we do have swelling. I know there definitely is a significant change in how our muscles work with swelling. So I guess ice can potentially help that. If someone's having trouble with their swelling for like quite an ongoing time, is that yeah. then when you consider bringing in ice down the track a couple of weeks down the track, or would you more rely on things like compression and elevation? Um, I'd say if it's later down the track, I'd be looking at, um, say if we're talking about an ankle injury, is it a loading type of thing? Sorry, let's go back. Let's If it's an acute injury, like a grade one ATFL sprain or ankle sprain on the side, 
Um, if they've come to me around the week three region, uh, I'll check out the ankle range. Is there a significant difference between left and right? Is there a significant difference between their strength? So calf raises. And if there is, I would leave the swelling due to capacity and poor loading aspect. So I'd really work hard on getting the range back and then the strength. Uh, and then ice, majority of the people don't really apply it. When, they, when I ask, go home and apply it, they just say, oh, I forgot, no time, whatever. But I found that to be quite effective if I address those restrictions without the ice. Yeah, it sort of feels like the ice is just that um, optional extra. <laughs> I think, yeah. at least from my perspective, with an acute ankle injury, I definitely would use ice at the start, um, particularly instead of pain's an issue. But beyond that, at least from my perspective, it sounds like you do the exact same thing. Like there's just so many more important things like range of motion and strength that need to be addressed and like wasting time potentially icing. Well, I shouldn't say necessarily wasting time, but doing that, maybe it is just a waste of time or it's just not something that is necessary to prioritize. Yeah. And it sort of goes towards the uh, optimism side of things too. You sort of encourage, you're encouraging active recovery versus passive recovery uh, with icing. Um, so if you can get them moving, you can build their confidence uh, with that ankle. So over time, the swelling should reduce. Yeah, awesome. Um, on the topic of ankle injuries, I am sure I read a stat quite a while ago now about 24 hours after we have an acute ankle injury, let's say it's grade one ATFL sprain, we actually get weakness on our contralateral hip musculature, so like glutes and core activation on the other side. How important is that? And is that something that you are looking for when patients come into the clinic? And is that something that you start treating straight away? Or do you think that's something that gets um, just naturally as the patient gets better and does the rehab or whatever, uh, yeah. it will sort of sort itself out? Yeah, I guess at the start, if their priority is pain, uh, I'll address the pain, which comes with the restriction of ankle range and then strength. But then I'll start, how I do it in the clinic is that I generally look at how they calf raise after, say, when they're able to do 5, 10, video them. And then most of the time, like you said, you get so much weakness on the opposite side of the hip and the uh, obliques and all that. And that's when I start to treat that region. Because to them, it's like, why are you looking at over here when my injury is down here? Mm. So I sort of try to get that buy-in with the clients first, get them strong and comfortable on that injured leg, then I'll record and yeah, nine, nine times out of 10, you have that hip bike when they go into the mm. car race and they say, this is why you're experiencing X, Y, Z, let's focus into this region. But if I've got a client who's pretty switched on, I would address it pretty much within past the acute phase. So after the first two weeks, I'd address it pretty much quick. Mm. Yeah, because we're talking about someone who's wanting to have the absolute most efficient recovery, you know, mm. top level athlete or even just someone who takes their park run very seriously and they want to be in and out, get their physio rehab done as fast as possible and come back as strong as possible. Yeah. Yeah, there are things that people, like if we continue on this ankle injury as an example, there are things that you'd encourage people to be doing straight away. Like let's say they're barely able to take any, any weight at the moment and so they're sort of like, uh, maybe on crutches or in a boot or whatever, you know, should they be doing sit-ups in their bed? Should they be doing glute bridges? Like what would you get them to be doing? 
if they've got access to a gym, um, or even if they don't actually, yeah, I'd encourage them to train the rest of the body because the ankle realistically is like 5% of the body. Um, so yeah, you can work on uh, glute bridges, you can work on sidewalks to get the glute meat and, and the glutes working. Um, you could do pallet presses in a boot. Um, the other thing too, just on a side tangent is blood flow restriction training as well. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, you yeah. can utilize stuff like that um, to keep them active and strong as well. So you're doing less volume, uh, but you're getting as much motor unit recruitment with that too. Can we talk a little bit about the blood flow restriction training? Um, I guess for those that don't know what it is and, and how you've utilized it in the past. Uh, for me, I've utilized it with, because um, there's two out of these days. And for me, I use a, what do you call it? The cuff pressure one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, what is it for the listeners that don't know? Sorry, I jumped the gun. <laughs> so you can utilize, it's basically like cuffs, like blood pressure cuffs, um, but a little bit thinner that you could put around the thighs uh, or around the upper arm. Um, and basically what you do is you create pressure around it, like a blood, blood pressure cuff to restrict the blood flow um, to those limbs. And then you can do quite light weights and uh, light weights and high reps to get a metabolic stress. So you're getting the body to really stress, which will then encourage muscle growth. Yeah, so with how we've used it with some of the clients, like an ACL client of mine, when we do our rehab in the gym, we just put the blood flow restrictions on, do some leg Presses, for example, at say 30% of their RM or expected RM, and then just go to a point of, uh, I think there's a protocol by the AIS. I think it's 30 reps on, um, and you just do that, and then you rest for about 40 mi- uh, four minutes, and then you repeat that another three to four sets. And that just, just encourages increased muscle strength and size as well. That's awesome. That's so cool. It seems like such a hack that is probably quite underutilized. And I read into a little bit of um, blood flow restriction stuff last year. And uh, yeah, it's just fascinating. I hadn't even thought about using it for like ankle sprains. Um, I was sort of thinking like post-op could be really useful, but of course, like anyone who's like partial weight bearing or something like that, I, that's awesome that you use that in your clinic. Imagine yeah. you get some good results. Yeah. Like uh, what I have I had recently two one patient who was in a boot with tib-fib fracture, so the shin bone fracture, um, and we just worked with that while she was in the boot. Um, and then she came out of the boot and we got anchor range full. Her calf raises within a week bolted up to like 15, um, which was surprising um, from not being able to do anything within the first day of being out of the boot. Um, and Because my expectation is 15 by week four. Um, and then, yeah, the other one was a post-ankle surgery of the ligaments because she kept rolling it. We utilized that and then very similar results to the shin fracture. Mm. So it seems like a really nice way to, um, I guess, almost speed up the recovery. And I guess from what you've just said, you're able to get these great results and the 15 cast raises so much earlier than you maybe would have without it. Obviously, it's hard to compare case by case, yeah. um, but that's really cool. I think that's something that might be really important for the listeners to understand is there are strategies that you can use to optimize your recovery and to we don't want to necessarily speed things up and rush the process and get back to things too soon but if there are certain things that you can do along the way to get to where you want to be a little bit quicker and more efficiently and and come out the other side stronger i think that's a really good thing to implement 
Yeah, like obviously uh, respecting the natural healing process of ligaments, tendons and all that, but if we can make the muscles a lot stronger, faster to support and, and reduce the load on these structures, yeah, why not? Um, would you be able to talk a little bit on the role of NSAIDs or like anti-inflammatories, um, even heroid wraps? Uh, are these things that you promote, encourage, you use in certain situations where you use them and others that you don't? What are your, th your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting with the heroid wraps because I actually had a patient who walked out um, just before this uh, hamstring, acute hamstring tendinopathy, and um, I prescribed that to him, said heroid play that at night, plus your anti-inflammatory cream, then wrap it at night. Um, and that should just help promote the healing and reduce the swelling um, by increasing the, um, what do you call it? You're creating a higher sustained dosage of anti-inflammatory to the tendon. Um, and I guess it, it's more beneficial for superficial injuries rather than deeper injuries. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm all for that heroid wrap. Uh, better than taking anti-inflammatory tablets, more so on the fact of making the liver work hard and people who are allergic to that, they can't really take it. So this is a good alternative. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So for tendinopathies, you use heroid wraps. Yeah. Yeah. I find oh. it beneficial with tendinopathies, um, what do we call it, ligament sprains as well. So ankles, mm. um, MCLs and yeah, superficial stuff. And yeah, wow. it pretty well, surprisingly. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, that, that's really cool. That's awesome. Um, would you explain what the heroid wrap actually is? It is like a type of anti-inflammatory. I, I don't know exactly how it works. Do you know much around the science of the heroid wrap or would you just about to explain to the listeners what it actually is if they yeah. don't know what it is? <laughs> it's a combination of you need glad wrap, then you need heroid cream, then you need uh, the anti-inflammatory, of course, and then gauze. So when you go to sleep, you apply the, let's say, a, an index full of heroid cream, rub it on your injured side, site, and then put on the anti-inflammatory cream and rub it in, but don't like rub it to the point where it's gone. Um, then you put the gauze mat on top of it, then you wrap it up. So in essence, it's creating like this greenhouse effect of creating a, a higher dose of your anti-inflammatory effect of the cream because the heroid cream opens up the pores and then with the gauze and the glad wrap it reduces the evaporation of the cream um, so yeah therefore it is able to help reduce the swelling per se um, yeah does that yeah, make sense yeah definitely yeah definitely i i, I think that's awesome um, and yeah, definitely very valuable. It's definitely something I use for acute injuries in the clinic or like something where there's a lot of bruising um, yeah. to try and settle down some of those symptoms. Uh, what's the issue aside from just like maybe being a bit of extra work for our internal organs, but what's the issue with taking oral anti-inflammatories long-term for, I guess, like tendon type injuries? Is there any issue with that? Yeah, uh... Aside from the organs like stomach ulcers and whatnot, um, it just creates, in my perspective, just a big dependency um, on tablets to make you feel better and ignore the pain, uh, especially for those that haven't gotten the injury addressed yet. So, yeah, the anti-inflammatory tablets 
it's just more of a mask band-aid for these runners per se um, to just keep going. Mm. Yeah, which I think runners are quite good at ignoring pain. So, uh, yeah, I think taking something that just might mask it, it's not really getting to the, the real cause. Like we know that tendons need to be loaded and that loading needs to be optimised. So if someone's just selling their pain, how do we know if we're loading them optimally and how do we know if they're actually progressing in their strength? Because we're not even getting any feedback from those tendons. Yeah, yeah. Because I sort of, I guess, these injuries occur because of... Um, have you heard of the SRA acronym? No. Stress response adaptation. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I guess like, that. if we're talking about uh, tendons um, as an overload injury and utilising NSAID or anti-inflammatory tablets to mask the pain, um, obviously with training exercise, you need to stress the body so we can adapt to another level. Um, but then you need appropriate recovery such as sleep, uh, hydration, so like electrolytes, I tend to encourage people to take, um, and then diet, um, obviously for muscle recovery, um, because when we're training in the gym and we run, our muscles have this micro tearing that occur, um, and then you just need the rest to help bridge those tearings to get you stronger. And I guess if you don't recover well, you don't adapt well to the stimulus, so your improvements won't. Uh, sorry, your performance won't improve. Uh, and so, in that, you get to that stage of where your body can't adapt well. So you start to get the niggles inside the hamstring tendon. So therefore, you take the tablets. Therefore, the pain goes away. So therefore, you can run more. But then, once you come off the tablets, you've just overloaded the hamstring tendon so much more that, yeah, like you're actually declining in your performance rather than improving it. Yeah, of course. And that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I think that's something that probably most people struggle with at times or anyone who gets injured struggles with or is trying to improve their fitness because we're just constantly in this state of, yeah, trying to get fitter and stronger and make these adaptations, but without pushing too much. And I think a lot of keen sort of recreational athletes may not have that close supervision of a coach or I guess regularly checking with a health professional or a physio so they're just always testing themselves and seeing how hard they can go. Yeah. And there's something that I think, at least I've seen a lot, particularly in the fitness industry, is being really gritty and tough and having niggles is almost glamorized. And it's like, oh, wow, like, yeah, like my calf's really tired and like this ankle's stiff and, yeah, I've got a dodgy knee and, oh, yeah, don't even ask me about my hip. And yeah, like, oh, yeah, I run 30Ks. It's just like, why are we doing this? Like, surely, like this whole like balance thing, like surely you're just going to run into something eventually um, yeah and i guess once you take more and more tablets you become um accustomed to it so you need to increase the dosage to it as well to a point where it's unsafe and people are like oh shit probably i shouldn't be taking 10 a day for the last um, five weeks increase we know different structures respond to different things if we've got some irritation of like a paratendon or a bursa uh, or something that has got a true sort of inflammatory process. Could you explain certain patients that you might actually encourage anti-inflammatories for a couple of days or are you much more blanket? No. Uh, no, I, most of the time I encourage clients to jump onto the anti-inflammatory tablets for about five days, uh, two with breakfast, then lunch, then dinner, um, just to really work on that anti-inflammatory effect of the tablets um, to reduce all that pain. For what injury? like say bursitis, tendons, I do encourage it. Um, mm, just so okay. then they can 
reduce the pain and then return back to normal function as soon as they can. And then those exercises within comfort. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there seems to be like two very different camps and like in terms of patients that have walked into my door or, mm. and one is like, you know, they're taking all the antifamatories, they're taking all the things that they can and like any pain relief, all the pain relief and they're struggling. And then there's the other group of people that are so against it that it almost, at least what I see, it seems to inhibit their recovery because they're like, oh no, I don't take tablets. Oh, I'm just not into like I'd only do it if I absolutely had to and it's like I, I often have to really strongly motivate and encourage patients to sometimes just take a couple because they may not be sleeping because they're in so much pain and like I'm not even talking like just running injuries it might be something else maybe um lower back or neck or, or something that's really interfering with their sleep and from my perspective if someone is really struggling to sleep because of pain or struggling just to get about their daily life you know getting to work or um, cooking dinner for their family or putting their washing on or something like that. I feel like if pain's really getting in the way of those daily functions, that's a great time when we should be able to use and, and potentially rely on just for a short term yeah. um, some pain relief so we can just get through our daily life. Yeah. How do you tend to prescribe it to your clients? Um, pretty much exactly what you said. Like, yeah, as per the packet prescribes and go for five days, you know three times a day five days and do it in a chunk do it well do it properly have that time to rest and recover and then obviously pairing that with the rehab or the deloading or whatever it is that we need to do to then promote recovery and promote healing for whatever that injury is yeah no that's a good point like do it well and do it hard because so many people just take it as they need as well like oh i just popped it yesterday just one tablet and it's like well that's not effective that's why you still have the pain yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, and I, I'm not a pharmacist. I think as I, I don't even quite know exactly how they work, but you're not really going to get much out of one, right? Like you got to have um, an accumulative dose for it to really do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, I guess like with a, with a car, you're just dosing up very small with your fill and you're not going to go far compared to if you just do it well, fill up the whole tank in one ride. <laughs> therefore you can go pretty far. Yeah, that's awesome. This is like another one that might be controversial, but I'm really curious to hear your opinion. What are your thoughts with bony injury? So like we've spoken obviously about ligaments, bursa, um, tendon, but what about a bony injuries? Like if we're talking about a stress fracture, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Generally the first 24 to 72 days, you try to stay away from the anti-inflammatories because then that can reduce the, or slow down the healing process of the bone. Um, therefore you have a higher risk of the bone not actually gluing together yeah so most of the time if it's the early phase and we're suspecting say stress reaction or stress fracture then for pain management it would just be more your standard paracetamol panadol type of stuff i actually had a client three years ago who took collagen tablets when she had a Mm. fracture and she had no pain within two weeks um, and then she rescanned it within four weeks and then it was completely healed. Well, wow. okay. Yeah. So I was like bamboozled with that. And <laughs> I don't know how effective that is in a sense with fracture healing. Um, so don't take my recommendation <laughs> straight away. I'll do more research into it. Uh, but yeah, just off her, it was pretty surprising with how fast that she recovered. Mm. 
Yeah, super interesting. I've, I've definitely had some patients that have um, told me how amazing their bone broth is or their collagen tablets are. And yeah. I wonder if it's something that's going to get researched more down the track. I feel like though, you know, with everything we've gone through already, like the, the key things we still need to um, respect, as you said, the natural healing time of our body. And yeah. For the most part, anything that we can sort of take orally or wrap on our skin externally, whether it's ice or a heredoid wrap, is really just complementary to sort of like the main parts of um, of the healing. Um, we're about to talk a little bit now about sort of like cross training um, or core training or I guess some more like, I guess, global like energy system training that you would encourage or avoid for um, coming back or whilst we're in that sort of recovery deloading phase or an acute injury? Yeah, so I guess it depends on the site, but if we're talking, uh, say, lower limb uh, type of injuries, um, cross-training is optimal for returning back to training at your optimization without the risk of re-injuring something, particularly overload or overuse-based injuries. I'd say for most of my clients that walk in, if they've got an ankle and knee type of injury that's acute, something fresh that they only did, I'd obviously go through the peace and love um, principle, but I'd say go out there, let's modify your strength training if needed um, for you to continue building your strength. Some research uh, saying that if you work the non-injured side, there is some contralateral benefits to the other side. Uh, and again, how true that is, I'm not too sure, uh, but it, it just promotes a little bit more of an active recovery. So. Yeah, if you people also have access to a swimming pool and they can load in there, um, say they're coming back from a stress reaction or fracture is not even cute, but let's just say an ankle, a pretty bad ankle sprain, I'll get them to go in there so that way they can do a little bit of jogging, a little bit of jumping in there where the body weight's a little bit more reduced and then progress them onto grass um, so then they're ready. So it's not just straight onto grass or concrete, 100% load of your body weight. Um, but yeah, like it encourages some confidence back into them. Have you ever had any issues with, um, I guess, runners taking the cross training a little bit too far? We know that <laughs> runners love to run and when they can't run, they're probably going to find anything else that it gets to as close of a feeling as they can to running. Yeah. Um, so is that something that you consider and maybe hold people back from? Or do you find that people are just happy to, you know, do a couple of swims a week and they're okay with that? Uh, no, nah, like you get some fitness fanatics, hey, who just mm. go, go, go. Uh, and I encourage that um, because if you can do it safely, why not? So if you can jump onto a roller for an ankle sprain and you can get effective training out of that and you get your heart rate up, cardiovascular fitness up, then why not? Um, if you can do your ski yokes, then why not? If you can jump onto a bike, uh, especially say, yeah, uh, why not do that as well? So. Recently, I've got someone who tore his pec and I just said straight up, he's still in the sling, go on the bike because he just craved that heart rate pumping. And we just used his legs, basically. Yeah, goodness. I I just laugh hearing all this because I, I know I'm that patient that is so like <laughs> shit at the balance thing and I've had to really work some self-control. So I know when I... Um, have patients who do seem like that go-getter I'm very uh prescriptive with their cross training like I'll give them set times of like what they can do even if it's a totally different body part uh I guess because I 
I know that I've had the experience with overdoing it. Like, you know, when, yeah, I mean, we won't even go into my story, but I've given myself so many injuries in all different parts of my bodies. Cause I've just been like, Oh cool. I'll just do everything on this side and then everything upper body and everything on my, like, to the point where there's just nothing left to train because I've just injured everything, getting better at this balance thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I really have to check myself all the time about, um, yeah, that moderation piece, which I think a lot of runners can relate to. Yeah. It's just like finding that fine balance of minimum effective dose. Hey, Yes. Yeah. When we look at um, the V in the love principle, like vascularization is a big part of it, right? So yeah. if we're not moving, then we're potentially limiting our recovery from that perspective too, right? Hmm. Yeah. Like I find that most of the clients that recover the best and the fastest um, with all due respect to the healing time are the ones that are pretty much active from day zero mm-hmm. uh, or day one when they come in. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think that's something that we probably see um, from like a post-op perspective as well. You know, looking at things like total hip and total knee replacements, you know, people used to be in hospital for like, I mean, I don't know what it was when they very first started doing hip replacements, but it'd be like five days, six days a week or whatever. But now people are getting out like within a day or two. And yeah. I know there's certain surgeons that are doing slightly different techniques where, um, they're getting out on the same day. Um, there was a oh, surgeon. Wow. Yeah, he, um, I can't remember the surgeon's name, but working in Grafton near where I used to live in Coffs and he presented to us and he was telling us about this new um, protocol where the patients are getting out on the day and having just really, really good outcomes, which I feel like when you think about something as dramatic as having your hip totally replaced yeah. uh, and they're getting up and walking, in that day it just makes you think that yeah that movement like our bodies are designed to move and movement is a part of healing and that early loading early mobilization yeah it makes so much logical sense and then we're actually seeing real evidence of that which which is really cool yeah like it goes down to that optimism side of things as well like if you're able to move you actually psychologically go oh wow i can actually do this now and going to the neural side of things the pain sensitivity starts to dampen a little bit um, and then yeah you can sort of build on your strength from there but if you're very passive you're like oh I'll just rest for two weeks allow the swelling to go down when you start to move into new ranges that you haven't done the sensitivity for pain is so heightened that it's actually making you feel like you're not improving and, and that delays your healing process um, and then again like your whole body starts to decondition because with strength, you start to lose strength within the first two weeks or not doing anything. Yeah, I guess it, that just highlights then how important that first two weeks are. Yeah. That's pretty cool to hear that the, that's the new protocol that, that specialist, the surgeon's getting people to do. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's, it's incredible and amazing at the same time. I'm not overly surprised because even when I like had experience when I was a student on, on placement in the hospital and, you know, helping these people who had just come out of total hip and total knee replacements, I was amazed at how quickly people seemed to recover and, like, you know, seeing them in the morning compared to the afternoon and the next day I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is incredible. And the difference between people too, like the patients that were a bit more motivated and willing to sort of, like, get up and, and push themselves that bit seemed to have a lot better recovery. Yeah, better outcomes, quicker, and then, yeah, happier life after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are your thoughts around 
chronic pain and the risk for an injury sort of going on quite long. Cause I know, we, I know, and this is sort of another tangent again, but like, you know, we spoke about that optimism part and having some sort of positive belief around your injury. And we know that when we're stressed or when we don't have enough sleep or when we're dealing with, I guess, other um, psychological stresses or conditions, it has a huge impact on how we perceive pain. Do you notice any, I guess, patterns with certain types of patients and their outcomes or their prognosis? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like most recently, just two weeks ago, I've got this client who's super active into the yoga side of things um, and had um, back pain, um, pretty debilitating, difficult to get out of bed and take her first couple of steps, couldn't drive for more than 30 minutes. Um, and she's a 26-year-old um, mother of two kids who are in primary school. Um, and she's a single mom too. So she was super stressed in terms of the finances because she couldn't work. Um, work, her boss wasn't sort of uh, communicating with her um, while she had the time off. Um, so she had heaps of stress. And then there was just one day she sort of switched and talked to someone. And then she was just happier. And all the stresses from her life sort of just dissipated. And then the next day, which was only uh, yesterday, she came in and said, Kev, I actually can move. I actually don't have back pain anymore. Um, I'm like, why? What was the difference? And she's like, I think all the stresses that I had in my life, like finances, looking after the kids, work, um, that was all cooping me up. And then I had this massive breakdown on the weekend and then actually the next day I woke up with no pain <laughs> and I was like wow that's that's insane because yeah it's very similar to other clients of mine who are so focused on pain poor sleep um, their sensitivity to pain is so much more versus those who actually sleep like say seven odd hours good quality eat well um, and even though they have that say if we're talking about lower back pain for now um, if they move within comfort, they tend to recover a lot faster than those who just stay stiff like a, a, a stick and don't want to move at all and are scared to move in case their back, in a sense, breaks with that fear. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a massive difference in terms of recovery there based on stress levels in life um, and then their fear as well. Yeah, I it's think... It's just so... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say it's fascinating. Mm, <laughs> you go, yeah, no, I think... Um, it's amazing how powerful that is and the environment that you're in and the people you surround yourself with and whatever's going on in your life. It's amazing how that can present in such a physical way, whether it's pain or an injury or yeah, other sort of conditions as well. So yeah, it's quite powerful. And I think it just kind of opens up, I guess, the possibilities with rehab, because if you're yeah being limited by, um, I guess, external factors or stresses um, rather than just a, a physical thing, it, I guess it opens up more pathways to figuring out how best to manage that and maybe just looking outside of the actual ankle itself and kind of broadening your perspectives. Um, I think it'd be really nice if we could finish with just a few kind of practical takeaways. So if, for example, we're going to stick with this ankle that we've been speaking about for most episode, yeah. if someone rolls their ankle today, what is the first thing they should do? What are kind of just some quick steps that you think um, just in general you would recommend? 
Uh, so if they just rolled it and they're on the ground, call the ambulance. Call the ambulance. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my phone? Call triple zero. Right <laughs> um, yeah. No, I definitely say like, don't panic. The pain is normal. Like the sharp pain that they get um, for the first day, it's going to be uncomfortable. So just put weight as tolerable um, mm-hmm. within the first couple of hours or so. Um, if they want the pain management side of things, I definitely ice it, uh, even though I know we talked about that before. And then from then it's basically seek a physio or health profession to help you guide, to guide your outlook um, and reduce your fears of any, anything that everyone else has said of what you should do. Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, everyday people would say, go get an x-ray. Oh, no, it's fractured. And then, yeah, you worry more. Mm. yeah go get advice and for the first couple of hours and when it does happen don't panic yeah awesome I think that's really helpful um I think yeah getting to see someone as quick as you can so that you're not just guessing and listening as you said to other people's opinions and creating more fear I think that's really helpful um Lydia if there's anything else you want to chat about otherwise we can finish up with our favorite question yeah you shoot so all right Kevin your favorite pair of running shoes uh, mine at the moment is the ASICS Magic Speed. Oh, sweet. It's nice, nice. fast, light. Uh, yeah, I got the Invincible 3s the other day. Um, oh, cool. It's a little bit, it's comfortable, but it's just chunkier that I, I need to get used to. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kevin. Um, I learned a lot and appreciate both of you discussing all those topics. It was good to hear um, two physios chatting about that and getting to learn <laughs> a little bit more. So I hope the listeners also gain some insight as well. Um, if the listeners want to reach out to you, if they live in Sydney or if they're online and want to ask you some questions, they can reach you at KV underscore physio on Instagram. Um, and then you're also at the ground up physio, which is your practice. So I'm sure they can come and have a consult with you and learn some more. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. If anyone's got questions, just feel free to yeah, hit me with a follow and then shoot me a message. I'm more than happy to help out. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much.